I've entitled the message for tonight, Interpretation. And just the thought of standing up and claiming to be interpreting what God says is a very overwhelming thing. And it scares me. I don't want to give my own interpretation. I want to give what God says. And I really understand what Paul, I don't understand it to the same extent he did, but I have some understanding of what Paul meant when he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling because I am scared to death of misinterpreting what God says in his word. And I ask that you pray for me, that the Lord would deliver me from that, that we would hear his word, interpretation. Now, whether we're conscious of it or not, we interpret everything we hear. Everything. Sometimes we're unconscious. We don't think much about it. Sometimes we're very cognizant of the fact that we're interpreting something, and we may interpret it right, and we may interpret it wrong. You know, someone may uh, say something to you, and perhaps it's a compliment, and it's something nice, and you could interpret that as, well, what a blessing. I'm thankful that, to hear that. It was an encouragement to me. I loved what I heard. And you may hear it as this person is flattering me. They're trying to get something out of me. They're manipulating me. So that's just an example of everything we hear. There's an interpretation to it. Right or wrong, conscious or unconscious, we interpret what we hear. And preaching is the interpretation of scriptures. I don't want to give the wrong interpretation. And you're going to hear something. Now, in this passage of Scripture, look in verse 13. And it came to pass. You know, I love that uh, word. It came to pass. God purposed it. It came to pass. I love those uh, scriptures we're reading in Proverbs chapter 16. The uh, preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You know what that means? He is completely sovereign over everything we say, although we say what we want to say. He's completely sovereign over the free and uncoerced actions and thoughts of men. And we have an example of that in our text, the way that butler forgot Joseph. I mean, three days later, he's set free, and he forgets all about it. Maybe he had a bad memory. I don't know what was going on with him, but I know why he forgot it. The sovereign God was going to have him remember this two years later when it was necessary for Pharaoh's dreams to be interpreted. Now, interpretation, uh, another a passage of scripture I loved at the end of that chapter, the lot is cast into the lap. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. 
Doesn't that comfort you? To know that he controls and reigns over every thought, every event, everything that we would think is happenstance or chance. He controls everything. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And when we read it came to pass, the reason it came to pass is because he purposed it. He purposed it. It came to pass. Uh, God purposed for me to be here tonight. You know what? It came to pass. He purposed for you to be here tonight. Now, if he purposed for you to be here, is there any way that you wouldn't have been here? No. He purposed it. It came to pass. And um, it came to pass. The butler says to Pharaoh, as he interpreted to us. So it was. Pinpoint accuracy. As he interpreted it to us, so it was. Now, if you'll remember from the last chapter, uh, we have the butler and the baker. The butler had a dream. He dreamed, well, let's read about it in chapter 40. Verse 5, and they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man is dreaming one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison, Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We've dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. We have no idea what it meant. We're troubled. God gave him this dream. Now, I have dreams all the time, and I never know what they mean. Um, I almost don't want an interpreter of my dreams because I'd be afraid of what they tell me they meant. But I dream, dream wild dreams, crazy dreams. You do too. Well, they were troubled. God gave them these dreams, and they wanted to know what they meant. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me ye them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him in my dream, Behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded. And her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me, remember me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee. And shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat the flesh off of thee. 
And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember him. We considered that last week. There's a powerful gospel message in that chapter. Verse 1, and it came to pass, chapter 41. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven fat cows. And they fed in a meadow, and behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, skinny, ribs showing, and stood by the other cows upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored kind. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears, blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. He was troubled by this dream. He didn't know what it meant. He knew it meant something. And he didn't know what it meant. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret it unto them. None of the magicians, none of the wise men knew what the dream was meant. Did you know that not one fallen son of Adam, including me and you, can interpret correctly the message of the gospel? We're shut up to Revelation. You won't know the meaning. I won't know the meaning. You won't know the interpretation. I won't know the interpretation unless God is pleased to reveal himself. We'll never know. Scripture says the natural man, and that's the way we're born into this world, the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither indeed can he know them. They're foolishness unto him. Neither indeed can he know them. He lacks the ability to know them, because they're spiritually discerned. It's only that spirit that God gives, that new man that can understand the gospel. You can go shut yourself into a room and devote 20 years to trying to figure out what the Bible means, and you'll never know unless he's pleased to reveal himself. You and I can't figure this thing out. And if you think you can, you've deceived yourself. You can't. And the wise men and the magicians could not figure this out. Turn with me for a moment. Hold your finger there in Genesis 41 and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now remember our subject is interpretation. We'll get into the 
meat of um, Genesis 41 in the weeks to come as to how what happened after Joseph interpreted the dreams. But look in Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 16, for we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's an accurate description of most preaching. Cunningly devised fables. Nothing more. And Peter says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the Lord was transfigured before them. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from that excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This voice which came from heaven. We heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We also have something that's better than that. Right now, me and you, we have something better than that mountaintop experience. And what is it? We also have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein till you do well that you take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place <clears throat> into the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts Knowing this first. Now this comes first. That no scripture. That no prophecy of the scripture. Is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? No prophecy of the scripture. Is of any private interpretation. Well how many times have you said something from the scriptures and somebody said, that's your interpretation. You've heard that. That's your interpretation. That's how you view it. Peter is saying, it doesn't work like that. Well, here's what it means to me. Have you heard somebody say that? Here's what it means to me. Now, when we make a statement like that, we're saying it might mean it means this to me. It might mean something else to somebody else, but this is what it means to me. I am not interested in what the scripture means to me. I'm not interested in what the scripture means to you. I'm interested in what the scripture means. What does God mean when he says that? The scripture is not of any private interpretation. Here's what it means to me. Access that from your vocabulary. That's your interpretation? No, the scripture means what God means. Whatever that is, it means what God means. The scriptures of no private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost.
Turn with me for a moment to Job 33. I want you to see this. Job chapter 33. This is Elihu speaking. And when a man is, verse 19, he's chastened also with pains upon his bed, the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat, his flesh is consumed away, that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, his life to the destroyers, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter. One among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness. To show man's uprightness? No. To show his, God's uprightness. God's righteousness. Then he, God, is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Now, if there be one among a thousand, I'd say that's generous with regard to preachers. <laughs> one among a thousand. Very few give the right meaning of Scripture. And what is it they make known? They show unto man his uprightness as far as I'm going to show you how good you are and how righteous you are and how upright you are. No, it's showing to a man his uprightness. That's the message of the gospel. I mean, everything belongs right here. Uh, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the, to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Now, in true preaching, this is what's going on. God's righteous character is made known. If I ever see his righteousness... I'm going to understand that I'm a sinner. Not until then. The only way I'm going to understand that I'm a sinner is by seeing the character of God, his righteousness. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I'd like you to read this with me. This is such a powerful passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 10. Paul says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. They were not saved and Paul desired their salvation. He wasn't indifferent about these people. He wanted them to be saved. I mean, I think of in Romans chapter 9, he said, I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's how much he desired the salvation of these people. He wasn't being hard-hearted. Oh, he desired their salvation. But look what he says. He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. And he's talking about the God of the Bible. But not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now that's his righteous character. That's his righteousness. And I, I want to say this. I, I wish I could say this the right way. But his righteousness in my damnation. I can't be ignorant of that. If he sent me to hell, if he sent you to hell, would he be unjust? 
Would he be wrong? Now, if Christ died for you and he sent you to hell, that would be unjust. If you have the righteousness of Christ and he sent you to hell, that would be unjust. That ain't going to happen. That's just not going to happen. But God is righteous. But not only do we see his righteousness in our condemnation, his righteousness is revealed in our salvation. You see, my sin was paid for to honor the righteous demands of God's law by the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness is given to me, so the very righteousness of God demands my salvation. Now, that's what a true interpreter tells. The uprightness, the righteousness of God in all things. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and here's what people do who are ignorant of God's righteousness, they go about to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, somebody who has knows this. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You believe that? You rejoice in that? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that believeth. Now back to Pharaoh's dreams. Back to Genesis 41. Interpretation. What if someone would have interpreted those dreams wrong? Now, okay, let's say one of the magicians said, those fat cows are your good works. Those skinny cows are your bad works. It could be that your bad works will just eat up your good works and you won't have anything left and you'll go to hell. What if they interpret it like that? What if they interpreted the ears of corn? Well, the fat ears of corn is your decision to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. But the skinny ears of corn blasted with the east wind, those are your bad works. And those will turn around and eat up that decision and you won't be saved. Now that's ways of interpreting those dreams. Somebody says, that's foolishness. I know it is. <laughs> I know it is. But what would have happened if they would have given the wrong interpretation? Well, uh, they wouldn't have saved for the seven years of famine. Uh, there wouldn't have been any food when the famine started. And everyone would have starved to death. And the sons of Jacob would not have been delivered. A wrong interpretation would mean nothing good happened. But he did not give the wrong interpretation. Now you think about this thing of, of um, interpreting the scriptures. Joseph gave, in verse 25 of Genesis 41, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Don't you love that? You know, that's what everything is. Everything that hadn't happened yet, it's what God is about to do. And that's what he tells him. I'm, this is what God is about to do. Now, the right interpretation comes from God. Look in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. 
and there's none that can interpret it, but I've heard, save thee, that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. <laughs> I have no ability to interpret a dream. Absolutely none. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And you know, when you hear the right interpretation, you know what you're going to find from it? Peace. Peace. You're going to be able to rest your soul when you hear the truth. It's going to be God's answer of peace. Now, let's think of right interpretations. We give an interpretation of everything. We have an interpretation for everything we see, everything we hear whether conscious or unconscious, maybe it's below the uh, thinking, but we're still interpreted, interpreting everything we hear. Joseph's interpretations were right. Let's look at his answer to Pharaoh. We're going to consider this more in a couple of weeks. This is after Pharaoh tells Joseph what he dreamed, verse 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. The seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after thee are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the, pl the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It's because the thing is established by God. God will shortly bring it to pass now therefore let pharaoh look out a discreet man wise and set him over the land of egypt let pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of egypt in the seven plenteous years let him gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities that shall be food for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of egypt that the land perish not through famine and the thing was good in the eyes of pharaoh and in all of his servants, he knew that this is what it meant. It made sense to him. He felt at peace with Joseph's interpretation. Now, you know, in this thing of preaching, every preacher is giving his interpretation. You know, we consider John 3.16 this morning. Uh, some will interpret John 3.16. God loves everybody, wants to save you. Christ died for everybody, wants your sins to be put away. He wants you to accept him, but uh, you have to believe first or your believing will negate his love for you and Christ's death for you. And that's the way some people would interpret that verse of scripture. There are others who say, God so loved the world, just as the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son. Anyone believing is not going to perish, 
but have eternal life. There's a scripture in James 2. A man is justified by works and not by faith only. You're familiar with it. A man is justified by works and not by faith only. Somebody says, well, faith only isn't going to get it. There's got to be works that prove the reality of your salvation. If you don't have good works along with your faith, you won't be saved. Don't give me that stuff about faith only. There must be works in your life, a change in your life that prove, proves you're saved. And somebody says, faith is salvation by faith only looking to Christ. And there will be works that prove you really did believe that. I think the best illustration of that is Lot. You know what proved Lot really believed he needed to get out of there and not look back as the angel said to him? He didn't look back. His works proved he believed what he said he did. He didn't look back. There will be works that give evidence that you really believe what you say you do. Let's say somebody says, I believe the gospel of God's grace, but they go to a church where the gospel of God's grace is not preached. What do their works say? That's pretty easy to see that. Here's another scripture. Like I said, interpretation. Um, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now somebody can say, see, all you got to do is believe, and your works are of no consequence whatsoever. It doesn't matter. You can sin without restraint. You can do all you want. You can live a wicked life as long as you have faith, as long as you believe. Everything's okay. Somebody else says to him that worketh not, you know salvation is in no way by your works. You know enough about yourself to know that you cannot be saved by what you do. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now, the point I'm making is you can hear God's word preached and hear two totally different interpretations. What God meant is right. What God says. God meant it a certain way. And if a preacher doesn't give what God meant, woe unto that preacher. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Take something like election. Just anybody that reads the Bible, they're going to have to deal with election. Somebody says, well, God looks. I, I, I got a letter from somebody this week, actually. They said, don't you know the election only has to do with Old Testament Israel? I mean, it, it, it doesn't even have to do anything to do with the New Testament. Oh, <laughs> okay. And somebody else says, well, election is is a God looking down through the telescope of time and foreseeing who's going to believe, and then he chooses the ones he foresees who will believe. Really? Uh, one preacher actually said this, election is God voting for you, the devil voting against you, and you casting the deciding vote. Why, that's ridiculous. Election is what God says it is. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Interpretation. Now what I would like to close with is 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you will turn with me there. We're, like I said, the next time we're going to get more into the story of, Je of uh, Genesis 41. But I wanted us to think of the importance of this thing of, of interpretation. When you hear the scripture, you're giving, it, you're giving your own interpretation. Better be the right one. And that's why I pray God would give me hearing ears, that he would give me the tongue of the learned to give what he means. I hope you'll have quickly discerning ears to know the difference. Interpretation. Now, what is the subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Well, there was in the early church the gift of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is the ability to preach the gospel in other languages. I'm not sure if it's just that the people would hear the language or you'd be speaking it. You might be speaking your own language and whoever you're preaching to, they'd hear it in their own language. As a matter of fact, that's the way it appears in Acts chapter 2. Because when they were preaching, 17 different dialects said, we hear the gospel, the wonderful works of God in our own language. And so this ability to speak in tongues was a great gift. And if one of the apostles laid his hands on you and gave you that gift, you had that gift. Now, it was only the apostles that could lay their hands on somebody and give them that gift. Acts chapter 8 says, when they saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. And I'm sure they laid hands on a lot of people who had this gift, and all of a sudden they could speak in other languages. Now, in the Corinthian church, people who had the gift of tongues were getting up and speaking in tongues in other languages and no interpreter. Nobody knew what they meant. Now, this is the setting. They had this gift and they would get up and speak in this other language. And I and I imagine if I would get up here right now and I had the gift of tongues and I started speaking fluent Korean and then fluent Russian and fluent uh, Arabic or whatever Aramic or whatever language it might be and having never studied those things, you'd be impressed. Now you would. You'd be impressed. But how much would you learn from it? Nothing. And that's what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's pick up in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. This is what I'd prefer, that you preach the gospel clearly. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, other languages, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Now, that's what's going on in true preaching. Those four things. Knowledge. Saving knowledge. Saving knowledge. Next, it says, I speak to you either by... no. Revela First, revelation. Revelation. That's, that's what, when God speaks, he reveals himself so that you know. 
And if he reveals himself, you know what? There will be knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the scriptures, the knowledge of the gospel. You can't believe what you don't know. There will be knowledge. And then he says there will be prophesying, thus saith the Lord. There will be doctrine. In true preaching, that's going on. Now, you can't do that if no one could understand the language. And that's what was going on in the church. Somebody says, how did it get there? I don't know. It happened here. I, if, if we still had that gift, I guarantee you, probably be me. I'd get up and start speaking in another language to impress everybody and show you all how, how gifted I am. So don't ask how could that happen. Uh, anything can happen. Wherever you got sinners meeting together, you got problems. I've said this before. If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You'd ruin it. And that's true. We, we believe that with regard to ourselves. But this was going on at this time. So look what Paul says in verse 7. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except there give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? You've heard kids get over on the piano and just start banging. It's not pretty. It's offensive. The proper notes have to be hit or no one will know the song. If you just start banging, banging, it's noise, but it's not beautiful music, is it? And no one will be able to recognize it. Verse 8, for the trumpet shall give an uncertain sound. Who shall prepare himself to the battle? If it's an indistinct, I mean, at that time, if there was a certain sound, when you heard, you knew it was time for war. What if the trumpet, the man blowing the trumpet gave a wrong sound? No one would prepare himself for battle and everybody would be killed. That's what he's saying. So likewise you, verse 9, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. None of them is without significance. But if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Words easy to be understood. Now, most preaching, and it's not God-honoring preaching, it's not God-inspired preaching, but most preaching would go under what Paul called yea, nay preaching. Yea, yea, and nay, nay. Yes and no to the same thing. Is the blood of Christ enough to save you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But not if you don't do your part. Yea, nay. Is salvation really all of grace? Oh, yes. Yes. Yay. Salvation by grace. But if you don't fill in the blank, you won't be saved. In the sense of uh, grace is not enough to save you. There's something you need to do to activate that grace. Yes, salvation by grace, but if you don't activate it, if you don't do whatever work you need to do to make it work for you, it's no good. That's yay, nay, preaching. He said, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. It's easy to understand, but the Bible is the inspired word of God. 
You might not believe it, but the concept is easy to understand. It's easy to understand that God is absolutely, immutably sovereign. Controls everything and everybody. That's easy to understand. You might not love it, but it's easy to understand. It's easy to, it's, it's easy to understand that a man can't save himself. If you put dead in sins, you don't have to say, well, what's that mean? It means you can't save yourself. That's what it means. You can't save yourself. If God leaves you, to, if he leaves me and myself, I won't be saved. Somebody says, what's that mean? You know exactly. That's easy to understand. You might not like it. You might not agree with it. But it's easy to understand. Christ accomplished salvation for everybody he died for. Somebody says, that's deep. No, it's so. And it's easy to understand. You may not like it. I realize that. But it's easy to understand. God's grace is invincible and irresistible. Everybody that God has his grace for, they're saved. That's easy to understand. Uh, if I don't utter words easy to be understood, nobody will get it. May God give us grace to be just like Joseph as he interpreted it so it was. And I earnestly request your prayers for me that that will be my preaching. And earnestly pray that that will be your hearing, that you will hear with the right interpretation. We're so completely dependent upon the God of all grace for this interpretation. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we might be delivered from our own understanding and our own wrong interpretations and that you would cause us to believe what you say as you say it, and that you will enable us to preach what you say as you say it. Lord, we cannot understand except you make yourself known, and we pray that you would make yourself known to us and enable us to believe the gospel. Bless this message for Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Amen.